Well, uh, good morning. I should be on. Um, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for being here. Hopefully, you guys had a great, fant- uh, great Thanksgiving and a time of rest with your family. Um, you know, the holidays can be a very interesting season. I know many of us, we get excited about the holidays, being with friends and family, and a lot of us get fe- festive and decorating our homes, going shopping, uh, and uh, we can get caught up in, in all of what the world kind of uh, defines as the holidays. Um, but also at the same time, the holidays can be a very uh, difficult season for a lot of us. Uh, painful memories, loneliness, uh, depression, th- these are all... Um, experiences for many of us during the holiday season. And I think um, during Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, because we're sometimes forced into social situations, uh, being with maybe in-laws or family members, or even being reminded of our, our, our friends, or even maybe ex-relationships, uh, it can, uh, a lot of these painful memories and our hurts can resurface uh, during the season. And, um, and so it can be a very difficult time, whether it's with a, a family member, it can be a spouse, your ex, a friend, uh, maybe even someone here at the church, or maybe even your pastor. Yes, your pastor can cause you pain and hurt. Uh, all of these things can actually uh, come up during the holiday season as some of you guys make your way back into church checking, and you're, you're reminded of the painful memories even within the church. Um, and when these, pains, when, when these pains resurface, we are given another opportunity to actually deal with them. Uh, according to the gospel and according to scripture. But oftentimes what we do uh, is we repeat the same mistakes that we've made before. Uh, we sweep it under the rug, we shove it in the closet, kind of we take the out of sight, out of mind kind of approach to uh, difficult uh, relationships or conflicts within relationships. But the problem with that is, is eventually uh, the pain and, and hurt will resurface. Uh, maybe not during the holiday season, it might be another time. Um, but it's going to resurface unless we deal with it in the way that the gospel uh, encourages us to. And so the truth is the majority of us are very unhealthy when we're dealing with relational conflict. And unhealthy is just a nice way of saying sinful. Uh, we, we deal with uh, unhealth or a relational conflict in sinful ways. And it's just a natural response. When we're sinned against, we typically respond in sin. And so sin breeds Sin, but God provides a better way of processing these pains. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 12 through 15. Now, this is a letter written by Paul to a church in the city Colossae, and now he's going to apply the gospel. Uh, This is what a a gospel life will now uh, look like. And so let's give our full attention as I read God's holy word for us. This should be up on the screen for you guys to follow along. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful." This is God's word. Amen. Uh, so conflict is inevitable when it comes to relationships. And although this is a, uh, an, an exhortation uh, given to the church, I think these principles can be applied to every relationship, both within and outside the church. But uh, conflict is in- inevitable, especially within the church. We should expect conflict within the church because early in this letter, Paul tells us that God knits us together 
He knits the people together. Now, uh, if you think about it, we don't have much of a say in who we're knitted together with. Uh, if you look around this room, many of us, we maybe grew up here, but especially for those that are new, you are now knitted together with the person on your right and left. And this can be very uncomfortable and oftentimes volatile because uh, we're, we're different. Uh, we come from different backgrounds, different cultures, uh, different life experiences. But yet, God knits us together to become one body, his bride. Um, and so we're different. But the greater factor in, in, in community and, and the most difficult thing is that we're all imperfect. Uh, we, we are not a finished product. Uh, I'm not a finished product. The person on your right and left is not a finished product. We are all under construction, and we're trying to learn how to live and breathe in the gospel together as imperfect people. Um, and this is where the challenge comes from. And so I'm just curious, what if, what if we actually came to church with this sober expectation of the person that we're sitting next to, knowing that they're imperfect, unfinished product, always under construction. I wonder what, how much more gracious we'll be to, towards one another. But the thing is, we have an expectation when we come to church. Uh, we expect that people are perfect. We expect people to be grace-driven, gospel-centered, but that is not the case. Uh, we, we, are, we are sinful people, uh, still very corrupt. But I think uh, with the reality of this idea that we're imperfect, I think, can develop within us more grace for each other. More grace for each other. But even with tempered expectations, uh, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to disappoint each other, and we're going to sin against each other. And if we're doing church right, we should expect these things. Uh, any, any relationship worthwhile pursuing is going to have its fair share of bumps and bruises. We're going to be on the receiving end of those bumps and bruises, but we're also going to be giving others bumps and bruises as we're journeying together in this faith. So how does the scripture instruct and guide us when we're in these situations where we hurt one another or we're disappointed with each other? Uh, the Bible and Paul instructs us to forgive one another. Forgive. Three things I want to focus on in regards to forgiveness. The first is the call to forgiveness. What is it calling us to do? Secondly, it's the cost of forgiveness. And lastly, the challenge. The challenge. So the call, the cost, and the challenge. First, the call to forgive. The call to forgive. Uh, I've shared this with us in the past before, but one of the first things that changed when I got married to my wife, Jane, was my wardrobe. Um, my fashion was, if I can categorize, it was Seattle emo grunge skater boy. That was my fashion sense. But marrying uh, a SoCal girl who came from Cerritos, uh, my fashion was not okay for her. Uh, but once, once we got married, what ended up happening is I took my entire wardrobe with me in marriage, right? It's not like I just got rid of all my clothes. No, I took my clothes when we're, you know, living together in the same space. Uh, but eventually what ended up happening is Jane started, to she started telling me, hey, you got to throw that away. Uh, throw that shirt away. No, it's not going to work. Throw those shoes away. No, that's not going to work. And sometimes I actually would find shirts in the garbage can. Like I didn't give her permission to. She just threw them away. And then she started shopping for me. Now, everything that you see here is not, I didn't, yeah, I don't buy them. Jane does the shopping for me. 
but this is one of the, you know, it's a silly illustration, but it's one of the things that drastically changed. And you can go back on my Facebook and look at my, you know, history. You can tell, like, before Jane and after Jane, there's a notice, noticeable difference. Right? She buys me suits, khakis, button-ups. Like, if I had the choice, I will just wear joggers and Henleys, like, every day. And people know that about me. And so if you catch me at the right time, you'll see kind of my old-fashioned sense uh, in the marketplace if you find me um, at, at bonds or something. Something very similar happens in the Christian life. Um, Paul loves this imagery about clothes, putting off and putting on. Um, and so he, he, in this letter, he, he develops this idea of putting off the old and putting on the new. Uh, see, everyone has a wardrobe before they come to Christ. Uh, everyone has a wardrobe, a, a, a sense of fashion when they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, Paul is now describing the old self, the old wardrobe. Verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. See, when we come to Christ, we don't come morally neutral. We don't come to Christ absolutely naked. No, we are coming to Christ with clothes already on. And a lot of those clothes are obscene before God's holiness. Right? You just look at the list of all these vices. But when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are given a new identity. We are a new creation. But oftentimes, we are taking our old wardrobe into this relationship. We take it with us. Why? Because it's comfortable. It's familiar. We're used to it. And so that's why the Christian life, then, is a constant rhythm of putting off the old and putting on the new. And this is going to be a struggle for the entirety of our lives until we die or until Christ comes back. This rhythm of putting off and putting on, growing a distaste for the old and growing accustomed to the new. And this is not an easy thing, especially when it comes to relationships. Because uh, we do have a way of dealing with difficult individuals and difficult relationships. So our makeover doesn't occur instantaneously. Actually, it's very slow and progressive, this Christian makeover. See, God supplies us these new clothes, and he wants, us to, clothe, he wants to clothe us in them. But oftentimes what we do in our old habits is put on the old, right? And so what does a new fashion look like? What is a new wardrobe that God supplies for us? Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. See, the Christians should embody these virtues. They should put on these virtues of compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In what arena should these virtues be practiced in? In what arena? It's relationships. Relationships. Verse 13, bearing with one another, uh, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See, although salvation is deeply personal, right, it is never expressed in isolation. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, now we are grafted into the body of Christ. We are knitted together with one another, as I shared and as Paul shares in the previous verses. 
in this, in this letter. So it is in relationships that we are to express our salvation. Why? Because relationships have a way of testing our faith. Relationships have a way of testing our, true, our, our, our fundamental belief about the gospel. What we really believe about the gospel will be most tested in relationships, especially the difficult ones. And God loves to test our faith, doesn't he? With our spouse, with our children, with our friends, with our boyfriend or girlfriend. God loves to test our true understanding of the gospel. See, God is constructing a community uh, to put his love on display. And one of the main tools that he gives us in order for our love to be, be refined is this idea of forgiveness, a tool that God gives us to refine our love and to put his love on display is forgiveness. Now, what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Now, at this point, I need to, I need to pause and be a little bit more instructive because the Bible does, our passage does not kind of unpack this for us, but I want to, in a way, instruct us a little bit because there are various forms of forgiveness. Um, and the first one is this. I, I don't know if it's going to be on the PowerPoint. First one is this, overlooking. It, it's not on the PowerPoint, but it's fine. Overlooking or putting up with individuals. Now, the Bible talks about bearing with one another, tolerating each other. Uh, this, this form of forgiveness costs us the least, right? But it is the most common form that I think we are called to practice uh, because this does not involve sin. Overlooking someone's offense does not involve sin for the most part. It's just people rub us the wrong way. Right? It's, it's preferential. It's personality differences. It's, it's, it's these uh, clashes that we experience between individuals in the community. Right? There's no sin involved. Let me explain this. Let me explain uh, and give you an example. Let's, for example, say one of you guys come up to me and like, hey, DC, I think you can improve as a father. Right? Your son is, is not disciplined. You can be a better father. Now, at that moment, I'll get very upset. I'll probably want to fight that individual. <laughs> But what that person said, was it sin? It was just an observation he made. He has an opinion about my parenting. Now, what I can do with that, that comment or statement is just, just, I can get rattled up. I can now judge that person and hate that person. Or, or I can overlook what that person said. Right? It's, it's, very, it's not a sin that was committed against me. It was just an opinion that someone had. This happens all the time, especially in kind of the Asian-American circle where we just kind of just, just point and, and, and just make observations when we're not, you know, wanting those observations. Oh, you, you've gained some weight. I, I, I know. You don't, ha- you don't have to tell me that. But is that, is that necessarily a sin that they committed? No. We're called to overlook sometimes some of these off comments that people make or even these preferences that we have of one another. Overlooking is a form of forgiveness. Now, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook in an offense. So the Bible offers this form of forgiveness where we overlook someone's offensive comments or their preferences, right? Why didn't you like my Instagram post, right? Come on, we can overlook that. The second form or variation of forgiveness, I want to call it pre-forgiveness, or preemptive forgiveness. Now, this is a step taken before someone offends, or uh, before the offender actually confesses and repents of their sin. Pre-forgiveness, right? This is a step that you take that 
in your heart, you are ready to offer forgiveness when requested. Now, this is a very important form of forgiveness, preemptive or pre-forgiveness. This is so important before you actually confront your offender. If you do not take this step and you're confronting the individual, you have not dealt with this with God in prayer for your own hurt, but also for the one that hurt you, you're going to set yourself up to be hurt again. You have to be ready. Pre-forgiveness. This is the step that you take in praying to God. God, I am hurt. I'm disappointed. Uh, This person did this to me. Help me to forgive. And then God calls us to pray for our enemies. Pray for that individual that offended you, that sinned against you. Pray for them, knowing that they are in need of God's grace as well. Preemptive forgiveness or pre-forgiveness is a very important step when we're trying to really forgive someone that has wronged us. There's a high probability that we'll be hurt again if we don't take this step. Now, there is a big chance that the person may not ever confess or that person is not repentant about what they did. Um, But because you have, right, dealt with it according to God, I mean, with God and according to the gospel, when when you confront them and they actually aren't repentant, the blow will be less heavy. It will be less heavy when, they, when you realize this person is not even sorry. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit of what, happened, what to do when someone is unrepentant. Right? The last is what I want to call true forgiveness or reconciliation. This is the ultimate form of forgiveness. Now, the ultimate goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. Reconciliation is restoring a relationship. Uh, but true forgiveness is not unconditional. We can't offer true forgiveness unconditionally because that's not the way that God forgives us, right? Because what is required for us to be forgiven by, uh, forgiven by God? We have to confess our sins. We have, to, we have to acknowledge that we are fallen, broken people. So when we're trying to truly forgive someone and to be reconciled to someone, there needs to be this exchange, right? Two parties have to be involved, right? The offended party and the offender The offender needs to say, you know what, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then the one that is offended can offer forgiveness, right? Forgiveness. There's condition to forgiveness. It is not unconditional. See, when one admits fault and asks for forgiveness, as a Christian, our response should be, I forgive you. But it has to work in this confrontation, See, if we only preemptively forgive, that's not true forgiveness. That's just self-therapy. Nothing's changed in that relationship. But so often, we stop with pre-forgiveness. We just, in our own minds, have forgiven that individual when that individual, individual doesn't even know what they did wrong or even if they're not even sorry. Now, this can be damaging for us if we only do pre-forgiveness. Because you're going to be, why am I so bitter? Why am I so resentful? Why is this relationship so difficult? It's because you haven't gone all the way. Now, I want to say that with true forgiveness and reconciliation, it can be a very long process because not every sin is equal. Not every consequence of those sins are equal. Uh, Reconciliation, restoring a relationship can take years. Sometimes it could take a week, 
But sometimes it could take years of regaining, rebuilding trust. It would be foolish for us to just simply restore someone back when they've done something so heinous and so wrong to us. Uh, It's just foolish to do that. we got to be wise in how we restore someone back into a good standing with us. Now, there are specifics to that, and, and I would love to offer counsel if you're curious of what that looks like. But let me just leave it at that. But too often, we stop at pre-forgiveness, and that is not true forgiveness. It involves two parties, the one sinned against and the one who has sinned. And repentance is necessary in order for forgiveness to happen. Now, the real challenge, what I mentioned in pre-forgiveness and in true forgiveness, is what if they're unrepentant over their sins? See, Jesus provides instructions on how to handle unrepentant sinners. In Matthew chapter 18, he tells an individual, if someone sinned against you, you go in private. Confront that individual privately. Right? If they deny uh, the claims, then you take one or two witnesses with you. Right? One, one or two witnesses uh, to, to uh, encounter this individual that sinned against you. Now, if they deny it still then, you bring them before the church. And even at, at that point, at that level, if they deny it then, Jesus tells us to call, uh, treat them as a non-believer, to excommunicate them, uh, because they are not repentant over their sins. And there's, there's evidence that what they did was sin. So excommunication is a final step in this process of conflict resolution. Now, I haven't witnessed that too many times in the church, but I've heard it happen before. Excommunication. But there, the, the, the question still remains, even with excommunication, the conflict is still unresolved, right? Let's say that we do kick them, kick them out of the church. My hurt is still there. My hurt is still real. That pain is still there. What happens then? And this is the reality for many of us. There are people here that have been abused physically or even emotionally by your parents. Uh, there are those that have been sexually assaulted, financially cheated, abandoned, betrayed by a friend. And the offender never had to deal with their, their crimes. They have never had to pay for what they did. Maybe they, they passed away. Maybe they ran away. Maybe they're just... Maybe we, they even they just left the church. What do we do with those individuals that have hurt us so deeply and, and, and we just can never resolve it? Or we don't have an opportunity to resolve it. What do we do then? What hope or comfort do we have in those realities? See, Scripture reminds us in Isaiah 61, uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, talks about God making every wrong right. Now, on this side of eternity, we may not ever be, we may never resolve that conflict. Uh, That individual may never pay for their crimes or their offense or their sins against us. They may never. But there will be a time when God makes every wrong right, and that is a promise that we should hold on to, a promise we should be comforted by, and a promise we can hope in. In Hebrew chapter 10, verse 30, the author reminds us that we don't need to take vengeance. We don't need to take matters into our own hands. This is what it says. For we know who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. See, often the tendency when we're sinned against is we want to take matters into our own hands. Or we want to force the issue, even though that person is unrepentant. Again, that can do more damage than good in our, in our lives, in our faith. What we can do is 
release that to God, knowing that God will and he promises to make every wrong right. But that does not make it easy. And this can be a lifelong journey of dealing with this um, pain. But our comfort is in this promise. See, brothers and sisters, the Bible doesn't guarantee compensation for sins committed against us on this side of heaven. But God promises to ultimately make things right. So Christ calls us to forgive. Very simply, he calls us to forgive. Um, But many of us, we hold on to anger and resentment and bitterness. A lot of us were unwilling to let it go. And, And for understandable reasons, because it costs so much. It's so costly to forgive. Now, this brings us to the second point, the cost of forgiveness. See, depending on the violation, the cost differs. But there will always be a price to be paid in order to forgive. Forgiveness may cost us our pride, um, our satisfaction uh, to, to execute justice. It may even cost us emotionally. See, when one asks us to forgive, essentially what they're doing and what we need to do is absorb that person's debt in ourselves. That's, that's what it means to forgive, is to absorb that person's debt in ourselves, right? To take, to, to bear that cost. Because we're refusing to pay them for what they did. We're refusing to give them what they deserve. We're actually giving them grace, and that is costly, But let me give you a a challenge and encouragement. The ability to absorb the cost of forgiveness comes not from ourselves. It doesn't come from our own personal account, but it comes from the account of Christ. Verse 13 again, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. Why are we to forgive? Because we have been forgiven much. Forgiveness is not an elective course in the Christian life. It's not an optional course. This is, this is a, a, a primary responsibility and requirement of the Christian. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us of our sins. In Luke chapter 7, um, Jesus has a very interesting encounter in a Pharisee's home. Uh, a woman, most likely a prostitute, comes in. Uh, knowing that Jesus is reclining at the table, she breaks an alabaster jar of ointment and starts rubbing on Jesus' feet crying, her, her tears are on Jesus' feet, and she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. Now the Pharisees are grumbling at this point. If Jesus is a real prophet, if he knew the character of this woman, he would not allow this to happen. And hearing their complaints, Jesus tells this parable. There's, one, there, there, there's a, a, a lender who lended out 500 denarii and then 50 denarii. Right? They, they owed 550, two individuals, the lender decides to cancel their debt. And he asks this question, which of these two loves, will love the lender more? And it's an, the answer is easy. The one that was in debt, 500 denarii. Of course, that's because that's the debt was greater. The debt was greater. And this is what Jesus says. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Friends, how much debt do you have? How much debt did you accrue? How much do we owe God? 
Now, if we do this very silly example, let's just take this past year. Let's, let's, take, let's try to count up all the sins that we committed, both private and public. All the sins you committed here, but also the, the sins that, that others would be able to notice as well. Count it all up. Just in this year. Can't do it. Just can't, because it's just too many. It's too many. Our sins and our violations before God is just too many to count. Our debt is not even countable. It will take a lifetime for us to, no, not even a lifetime, it will take eternity for us to pay God back. An eternal debt that we owe to God because of our sins. The point of this illustration or this point of this parable is that our experience of grace has a direct connection to our ability to extend grace to others. Let me say that again. Our experience of grace has a direct connection to our ability to extend grace to others. And the problem is, we don't know how much we've been forgiven. Uh, we, 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 we undermine, we deflate, right? Our sins before God, but our sin, our sins are eternal. It's an eternal debt that God had to pay for. See, when I realized how filthy I am, how much debt I have in accrued, and, and that I was the reason why Jesus Christ had to die, the cost to forgive others, although weighty, a weighty sum can't compare to the cost that Christ has paid. And this is the gospel. Jesus Christ has paid the ultimate price, the eternal cost for our sins. See, it is coming to the realization of the depth of our sins, the grossness of our violations, and the wealth of God's love in paying the ultimate price for me that gives us the ability to forgive another human being, another brother or sister that wronged us. See, the gospel doesn't make us a doormat Right? The gospel doesn't make us a doormat for people to walk all over us. But the gospel presents a, us a gateway, a doorway to offer forgiveness, to show grace to others by absorbing the cost because Christ has absorbed the ultimate cost. All right, to close, the challenge. Verse 14 and 15, and above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. See, love covers a multitude of sins, and we are called to be at peace with all. See, forgiveness is an expression of Christ's love that keeps us united as God's people. Because Satan is out there to, to be divisive, to divide us, to separate us, to pit us against each other. Love is what will bind us together. And this idea of perf perfection is not about being perfect. It's about being completed in Christ to a people that reflects the gospel, to be completed in Jesus Christ. So what's the challenge? What is the challenge to close? My challenge is this. Does someone in, does someone in your life need your forgiveness? Does someone in your life need your forgiveness? They may not know that, that they need to be forgiven. But you try dealing with this yourself, right? Pre-forgiveness. You tried dealing it privately. But you've only grown more resentful, more bitter. And those pain, pain, that pain and hurt constantly resurfaces. If that's you, can I invite you 
to take the next step after pre-forgiveness. Now, pre-forgiveness is, again, praying for your hurt, praying for that one that hurt you. Uh, but but th- you got to take that next step of confronting that individual that sinned against you. In order for forgiveness and reconciliation to happen, we have to take it to that next step of confronting that individual. Now, I want to suggest, if that's you today, right, someone you need to forgive, and they don't know that you need to forgive, and you want to meet with that individual, please talk to someone before you do that. Talk to a wise, older brother or sister, right? Because what you want to do is ensure that you've taken the steps of pre-forgiveness before you actually encounter that individual. Because what can happen is that person can hurt you even more and deeper if you haven't taken those steps. So to ensure that you've taken those steps, talk to someone. See what that person will say. Yeah, go ahead. I'll be praying for you. We need support. We need support when we're confronting someone that hurt us. So there, there is someone that, if, if someone needs forgiveness, I want, you, I want to invite you to go and initiate and confront that individual. And still, if they're unwilling to let go, if they're, uh, if they're unwilling to repent, unwilling to confess, that this is a cross that we need to bear, and we need to place our, our trust and faith in the promise that God will make all things right, even though we don't get to experience that here on this earth. And if you're unwilling to forgive, even after all those steps and they say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Like we need to consider the cross again. We have to see ourselves and our penalty and the debt that we accrue. See, there's, there's, it's an oxymoron. An unforgiving Christian is an oxymoron. It just does not exist. If you're unable to forgive, can I ask you to consider the cross once again and the debt that you accrued and that Christ paid for. Second challenge is this. Do you need to ask for forgiveness? So the first one is, do you need to forgive someone? The second is, do you need to ask for forgiveness? Are you done something wrong? You sinned against another brother or sister, and you know they have something against you, and they just can't get over it. If that's you, I want to challenge you to seek out that brother and ask for forgiveness. Now, you can do the pre-forgiveness as well. Pray for yourselves and the mistake that you made. Ask God to forgive you because ultimately your sin is before God first and foremost and then to the brother or sister. So we need to take the step of pre-forgiveness. And knowing that restoration of a relationship takes time, be patient. If they say, I forgive you, but yet, you know, the relationship isn't fully restored at that moment, be patient. You have to understand that trust was betrayed. And it takes time for a relationship to be restored. And I want to I encourage you in this one very simple practical advice. I believe that you need to ask the very words, please, can you forgive me? Don't just assume it. Don't presume it. You have to actually say those words as a healing process for that individual that you sinned against. Please, will you forgive me for what I did? Very simple practical step. See, brothers and sisters, relationships are super difficult. It's, it's hard. Friendships, uh, church members, family, spouse, we, we, we constantly are hurting each other. But I want to encourage you, we have, uh, we have an account. We have an account that is limitless uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, limitless grace that Jesus Christ offers us. May we be gracious to one another. 
May we offer forgiveness to one another. May we seek out forgiveness for his glory and for our good so that we can be the church to put Christ's love on display. I want to close with Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And I just want to close with this beautiful statement. And you, who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is the gospel. We had a debt that we had to pay. Christ canceled it on that cross. I pray and hope that we can be a community that grows and develops healthier relationships, healthier conflict resolutions to this end, to put this gospel on display for the world to see. Let's pray together. I want to I give you guys an opportunity at this, at this time, because um, this might have touched some of you guys, uh, touched a spot that you, you may... You may have thought that you've, you've gotten over it. Maybe you've moved on, but yet there's still some bitterness and resentment within your own hearts. I want to give you guys an opportunity to take the step of pre-forgiveness, uh, to pray for the hurt that you're dealing with, and to pray for the one that hurt you. So can I, can I invite you guys? If, if that's you, I don't want you guys to just kind of uh, go away without having this opportunity to pray. So I want to give you guys an opportunity now to, to, to pray. Uh, for forgiveness for that individual. Pray and ask God to help you to forgive. Uh, That's the first thing. Secondly, uh, if you need to ask, to initiate relationship, ask for forgiveness from another person, and you're just afraid, uh, I want to invite you to pray as well. Pray for your own sins before God, and pray for that individual that you sinned against, that God will give you the courage to, to initiate and confront that individual asking for that individual's forgiveness. But know that God has forgiven you if you ask. And so I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to do that. So let's pray together at this time.